0: Hey guys this is your host Natalie Allport and this is All In. On today's episode we have Liz Gleedle, a two-time Olympian and all-around badass girl boss. In this episode we talk morning routines bouncing back from setbacks and dive into the mentality of a female Olympian. Without further ado let's go All In. You were just telling me you're in Palm Springs now you're back in Arizona so tell me what were you up to in uh Palm Springs?
1: Just a little bit of R&R, I had a long weekend, so my parents own a place in Palm Desert, which is just 20 minutes outside of Palm Springs. And I sat by the pool, I made food and I hung out with my dad and we played crib and drank a couple beers. It was
0: awesome. Very relaxing. <laughs> the opposite of what everyone in Coachella is doing.
1: <laughs> Pretty much. I was red sober the entire time, it was great.
0: Awesome. And so now you're back in Arizona and I know you had a competition a couple weeks ago. Tell me how it went.
1: Uh, It was interesting. So uh, in track and field, when you do your first meet of the season, you generally choose a slightly lower key meet than you're used to and you call it a rust buster as in to literally shake off the rust. And I definitely needed that. Going into the competition, uh, I realized I hadn't properly measured out my runway. So um, my first couple throws, I kept blowing through the line. So if you cross the line, your throw doesn't count. Or if you just keep your toes in, but you slow down, you end up doing a bunch of weird technical things. So my first couple throws were abysmal, and it was. But I was okay with it because it was kind of funny. And I was like, okay, remember, you need to figure out your runway for the next meet, and check your tension levels and everything. And then I ended up pulling a 60-meter throw um, out of nowhere, which was well, not really out of nowhere. I was doing further throws than that in my warm-up, but it was good to get it done and to get a number under my belts so I can get into more meets. So it was a. Uh, I'm glad I did it. Let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so does this like qualify you for further meets, or was it just kind of like you said a rustbuster?
1: Basically, Rustbuster. I mean, it would probably get me into some other meets just to show competitive readiness. Right. Because generally, right. you throw a little less at the beginning of the season. Some people have been having awesome throws early on, but it's generally you kind of take into account that people have to get going to get better marks. So, yeah, I need 61 and a half meters to get to World Championships this year, but I don't think it should be a problem as long as I keep on, keep it on.
0: Nice. Awesome. And is 65 meters a benchmark? I think I saw that somewhere. Is that something you're striving for, something you've thrown? I've thrown it in practice a bunch of times, but that doesn't count.
1: So I'm not technically a 65-meter thrower yet. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a benchmark. And, you know, every five meters is kind of a new club, so to speak.
0: Okay.
1: Um, Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately I'd like to throw over 70, but I'll keep on pressing until I see how far my body wants to go.
0: So tell me about Arizona. So you've you've beaten the uh, the cold Canadian winter. I guess we're now into spring, but uh, I know here in Ottawa, it's been gross and rainy and damp. So I'm a little bit jealous. Um, tell me about your routine and, and how uh, being in Arizona has affected your training.
1: Uh, so like you said, it's a little bit cold in Canada at the moment, but normally we train indoors all winter, which is great because it does two things. One, it controls the temperature and two, you throw and you don't have to walk sixty meters to retrieve javelins so you keep your legs you can get more throws done in less time when you come down to Arizona I for one get to go outside which is just a huge stimulus and people don't realize this but when you've been inside so much and especially in Alberta a lot of the winter you spend very little time outside and it just takes your body a couple weeks just to adjust to fresh air which is kind of sad but true So I have probably gone through about $25 worth of sunscreen, (laughs) Costco style, so I don't know, that's even more than that in real life. But it's been awesome because you go outside, it's warm, all you have to do is, I brought four shirts down here and I maybe wash them every two weeks because I barely wear them because I'm only in a sports bra and shorts most of the time. But it's been another great thing about going outside is that you get visual cues. So you go outside instead of staring at a net or a wall and throwing into that, you now have the whole field and you have to try and find a focal point somewhere in a big blue sky. So it gives you something different to look at. And it's there's a lot of just little factors of adjusting to being outside, as well as the awesome factor of actually being hot so that you don't tear anything and you're kind of good to go for power speed.
0: Yeah like a lot of Canadian athletes, if they're training indoors all the time because of our Canadian winters, are maybe at a little bit of a disadvantage in summer sports when they don't get to be outside all the time.
1: No, and at the same time, I used to throw outside all the time during the winter in Vancouver. And, you know, it's just not quite cold enough, apparently, for indoor centers to be considered right? (laughs) indoor tracks. So, you know, it's when it's one degree and pouring rain, it it's pretty bad and you can't feel your hands and the javelins are wet and sometimes it's raining sideways and it's you know, it's a little crazy trying to train in that. Right. And trying yes. some good quality throws in.
0: Yeah. Like in some sports, like I know um in snowboarding, my snowboard coach would say Let's train in, you know, the worst conditions if it's it's windy, if it's really cold, it's really icy, it's kind of bulletproof out there, because you can show up to a competition that's like that, just because of the winter variability and where the events are. But I assume for you, usually, I mean, it could be kind of sketchy weather, but chances are it's not going to be that one degree, damp, cold, so... For you especially with like a, a power throwing movement it could probably be a little bit detrimental I guess to your training. Yeah it's dangerous
1: you need to be really warm and it's also frustrating when you're throwing and you've got a short sleeve a long sleeve a sweatshirt a rain jacket and you know equal number of layers on your bottoms and you're trying to throw but you're limited because you're dressed up like the michelin man. Yeah so
0: <laughs> yeah so would you say that it puts Canadian athletes at an advantage or a disadvantage to kind of suffer through that or, um, yeah, just in comparison to, to athletes that get to train outside all the time.
1: Um, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, having optimal training conditions, more variables under your control. And that's always really optimal if you're looking to get high quality work done. At the same time, though, there's a lot of athletes who train in hot weather and, you know, there's a little bit of a breeze or it's raining a little and they're worried about it being slippery or, you know, it gets to them. And I think Canadian athletes are only at an advantage if they choose to take the obstacle of the weather and treat it as they can't control it but they have to accept it and you have to find the best way to make do with it because at the end of the day, we're all competing in the same conditions and if you're disturbed by the conditions and your opponent isn't, then they have the advantage. So it's, you know, it's a chance to practice a little bit of stoicism and to kind of control yourself and do what you can and do your best with that situation.
0: You see people when they comment about Canadians that they notice that we're a little bit mentally tough, especially our athletes. You know, you see kind of like the prima donna athletes out there that are complaining about conditions and things like that. And often it's not the Canadians.
1: But it's, I mean, it's interesting because you you have all these athletes who complain and it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where they you know, there's people running around the track and you can't throw until they're done running their 10 K or you have to throw between runners or an official makes a bad call or, you know, there's a ton of things that could go wrong. And if you choose to let it bother you, it's just another thing adding to your stress. Right.
0: Tell me what you do from the moment you wake up to, you know, your first training session.
1: Um, Well, ideally, I get up, or I take my heart rate variability, so check my recovery for the day and see. just double check that I'm ready to train. Um, And then I make my bed. When I don't do it, I feel like a bad person. I feel like I haven't started my day. It's weird. I skipped it a couple of days in the last month, and I got back to my room, and I looked at it, and I thought, nope, that's not right. (laughs) Um, And then I'll make my coffee, and well, that's getting going, I'll kind of do a minute of movement or a little bit of yoga or just something to get my joints moving. And depending on the day, I either have practice. So obviously get up, go. Um, I might have a snack, but once in a while I just won't eat before practice. And then, yeah, either read, do some work. I try and get kind of, if I have the morning off, I like to try and do something really effective towards one of my goals. So either I'll do something with javelin and watch videos or I'll visualize or I'll read a book or I'll do something creative and work on a website I'm trying to build or work on something that I'm trying to get patented. So really using my brain while it's fresh and fully caffeinated.
0: That's a good idea. Yeah. The most important work should be done in the morning, I think. So I know you mentioned something about HRV in there and I was really interested. I think I saw one day on your Instagram, that you posted something about your HRV and I asked you about it. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear more about your HRV and how you kind of optimize when you should train and when you should back off. Because it's something I know personally, I'm very much like go, 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 and then I get burnt out. So recovery is super, super important. Yeah, to me, So
1: um, heart rate variability is basically measuring the timing between your heart base and how it varies. And what it can indicate is if you're, one, run down, um, two, if your nervous system is stressed, or three, if you're just getting sick. So something that's really important for me during the winter is sometimes I'll feel not great, but my HRV will be good. So it's just an indicator that I'm training hard. But if I'm feeling great and my HRV is in the tank, it's often an indicator that I'm getting sick. So although you're feeling good, it's sometimes good to take a rest day even though you don't feel like it. So it's taking into account some factor that you can't feel. So it's been really good because I remember I was my HRV was a 2 one day, a 2 out of 10. And I thought, that's weird, and I took it again, still a 2. So I took the day off, and a couple days later, I actually got a cold, and I was able to recover a lot faster because I you know, didn't run myself into the ground with two hard training sessions that day. So nice for kind of knowing your body. The more you use it, the more you kind of read into it, the more you know you're just a little tired or your nervous system is just kaput that day.
0: Right. Interesting. And you use some nootropics, and I know you've just started working uh, with Natural Stacks. You're now a Natural Stacks athlete. I, like, I'm interested in how it helps you in the morning kind of with your... Cognitive type work and then how it affects your training if it does
1: Yeah, so um, a lot of their stuff is actually neuroprotective
0: So anytime
1: you do anything that involves a lot of thinking or any kind of learning You are using your brain and you need to one refuel it with food and two provide it with Everything that it needs to fire at its best So if you're not replenishing the sources or if you're just kind of low on um, neurotransmitter primers or anything that really helps your brain work optimally or doesn't recover Then you're not going to learn as well and you're not going to commit something to memory and so Doesn't matter whether you're reading, whether you're learning a new skill or whether you're doing training If you're not firing fully or firing optimally or you're not recovering properly Then you're not going to learn as fast no matter what it is that you're doing so it's been, um, it's been really great for motivation too. I mean, you're doing more than just making your brain function better. You, you know, your brain controls everything. It controls your mood, it controls your sleep, it controls a ton of stuff. So, the more neuroprotective that, no, the more neuroprotective things you can take for your brain, I think is better because you can treat your body really, really well and if your brain is controlling it and you're not giving your brain what it wants, then at the end of the day you just, you're not taking care of the motherboard
0: right have you seen those like I think it's halo neuroscience it's like the cap that you put on your head and then you can learn skills faster that kind of thing I have one (laughs) (laughs) amazing
1: I'm fully technologied and um, nootropic out. I have, <laughs> I have a lot of technology and nootropics. It's almost kind of embarrassing, but it's, you know, everything that's legal, I'm trying to get. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, what's, everyone says the same about me. So they come over, they're like, you have every single tool. And I was like, oh my, like, how much money do you spend on this stuff? I was like, I will sacrifice anything to be able to not sacrifice anything in my health and fitness. Like when it comes to health and fitness, that's, that's kind of where my priorities are. I think you, you have to make yourself better to make anything around you better, your work, other people, that kind of thing. So anything I can do on that front, I'm like all in. Let's do it. Like I'll buy into it. I've got things
1: I can put against the wall, things I can strap around posts. I've got golf balls. I've got squishy balls. I've got foam rollers. I've got like, I've got bands. I've got little dumbbells. And it's like, wow, I have my own mini personal physio gym.
0: Yeah, I got a whole basket at my house of... Foam rollers, lacrosse balls, um, voodoo floss, a power oh, dot a- system. Yeah, voodoo floss is awesome. Um, speaking of kind of recovery, health, wellness, tell me a little bit about your diet because I know you've gone kind of you, – you've changed your body composition a lot over the last years. You're kind of like a, a totally different athlete. So how have you made that cha- those changes? Um,
1: yeah, so I used to – be pretty, I used to be very more calorie conscious and that was kind of my driving factor for what determined my diet and then just high protein. And then I kind of delved into it and was looking into a bunch of different stuff and just looking kind of into anti-inflammatory components, looking into timing my meals a little bit better and a lot of it was, you know, just cutting out sugar. I realized when I was in my teens I was lactose intolerant and Eventually, I kind of cut out grains because I realized it was just it was doing something that wasn't making my guts happy. And retrospectively now I think it's a lot of things that are often combined with grains, like apples or sugars or whatever random ingredients you can't pronounce. But um, yeah, simple stuff uh, totally works for me. But a year ago I tried, I tried ketosis before it was popular, and people thought it was nuts. And i like, why wow, are you eating so much food? That doesn't make any sense. And then I 10 pounds. I was super lean. I was really healthy. And I didn't just have nice skin. I had glowing skin. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would get a compliment every couple of days about how healthy I looked, how well I looked. And that was really interesting. And it was um, another thing that I noticed also relative to skin was that I stopped getting sunburns.
0: Because oh, I was in
1: Phoenix. Yeah, I was in Phoenix about a year ago,
0: doing another training
1: camp, and I forgot my sunscreen one day, and I was like, oh, well, I guess, I guess I'll guess i burn. But I guess my cells are really happy. They're well hydrated, and you know, you have a phospholipid bilayer on your, in every single cell. For me, I had to tweak it a little bit, so I've kind of been... I'm, more carbohydrates, but well-timed carbohydrates into my diet, because I have to with explosive athletes you're in the creatine system, and you get your fuel from carbs, whether you like it or not. So you have to make sure really you're not depleted. It's been a little bit more of a balancing act, instead of just saying, eat super high fat. You can say, okay, I'm going to have a little bit of carb. I'm going to have it here, or you really have to look at your diet very carefully and monitor it throughout the day and really monitor how you feel. So it's uh it's a little bit complicated being an explosive athlete and trying to eat a little more high fat, but I think it's been working out a little bit better. A little bit of fluctuations here and there, but it's obviously always a work in progress as we are all a process and not a singular unchanging thing.
0: Yeah. I, I know like Uh, just reading things like in Tools of Titans, for example, on ketosis. I'd heard of it before, but I hadn't really kind of done the deep dive. And I was like, Mm -hmm. Yeah, this makes sense. Like for eating for longevity, it it totally makes sense. But I know for myself, eating for performance, I'm I need carbs. Like all my best lifts, my best times and workouts, whether it be a longer workout or a shorter workout, it all comes after like a heavy carb load or some sort of, some sort of thing like that. So, um, yeah, like I, I know I've, I've tried, have you heard of the zone diet? Yeah. Like yeah. 40, 30, 30. Yeah. So I did zone for a while. I've done, uh, paleo and every time, like it, it was great. I, yeah, I looked better. Um, I, people were noticing that I was getting really lean. Actually, my grandma, classic grandma was like, eat more. What are you doing? You're looking too lean, your face. And uh, it's just really funny. Yeah, like I I need to bring you more dessert. (laughs) But uh, yeah, like it works. And then all of a sudden I hit a wall and my training hits a wall and my legs feel heavy. Uh, I remember one day I sat on the rower and I was lightheaded and I'd just been doing zone for like four months. And it just felt like it felt like almost, you know, that feeling when you just finish a workout? It was like that, but like after a rest day. And I was like, this is not yeah. okay. Like something is wrong. Like I, I literally just hopped off and walked home and I was like, that, that's it. Uh, I think I need to eat more. So I, yeah. I, and then the minute I start eating more, I notice different changes. So I think finding that balance between eating for longevity and then eating for performance as a, you know, a high performance athlete is very, very difficult. A difficult line to walk because it's almost like, some of the things we do are counterintuitive to general health. Yeah. And I don't know if, uh, if you find that a lot among athletes you, you mingle with, but yeah, like it's like we can eat for things that, you know, we, we tell people, we're like, hey, this is how you should eat if you want to be healthy. And then we can't really, we don't necessarily follow it because we need to, you know, get the best time or for you the, the best throw or that kind of thing. No, exactly. You
1: know, it's even difficult because we have different times of year. You know, I can eat keto style about four months of my year because I'm, you know, in competition phase, I I barely work out. And then so that's towards the end of my competition, maybe in the last month. And then in my couple months of rest, and then just kind of getting back in shape slowly, I can eat that way. But then when I have to train super heavy, I need more carbs. But then I need to remember that when I start cutting my training down for competition season, but I'm still training, but I just need less calories. And you kind of it's interesting because you have to actively remember to change your diet instead of just being like, this works for me, and I'm going to stay to this.
0: Right. Yeah. I think last time we talked, you were telling me a little bit about intermittent fasting, and I totally think that's awesome, but, you know, at the same time, it's so hard when you're training hard all the time to actually, you know, implement it into your life as an athlete.
1: No, it isn't. It was even more interesting because I was um, hearing a podcast where they were talking about how as a woman, intermittent fasting isn't quite as beneficial as they might think as opposed to men. Because we have to keep our hormones in check and apparently if you skip enough hours of eating as a woman and you do it frequently enough or you do you know, a 24-hour or 48-hour fast, it can throw off your menstrual cycle and it can you can skip a period. They're even talking about how it could potentially lead you to earlier menopause. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, that really messes up your hormones. But it's it's something to take into account, too, because, you know, women are meant to be a little fatter and as humans, and we're meant to have children and we're meant to do a ton of stuff. And, you know, I think skipping a meal here and there when you're not hungry or, you know, it's I think it has a lot of beneficial aspects but i think to do it all the time or to do it for an extended period of time i think there needs to be some more looked into a little bit more into the specifics of what that does to a woman
0: right yeah and it's something most studies on anything like health and fitness it seems to be all done on men so it's very hard to you know i think as women we have to take things with a grain of salt because we read it and we're like oh that sounds great and then you realize that all the the people in the study were were guys and they have totally different bodies different hormones and you you don't know how it's going to affect like yourself as a female no for sure i mean it's even
1: like the um low-fat high-carb diet that they prescribed to men because they thought it was going to help with heart attack risk right mm-hmm. and it didn't for one at all and then for two it gained so much popularity that it was being prescribed for women for pre for menopausal women for older people for infants and so you know this gets you know, there's different types of humans. And I think we forget that we're not just all human. We all have different metabolic processes. And it's, you know, if we prescribe different medications for different people based on their age, their gender, and their um, their genetics, why wouldn't we be prescribing different diets as well?
0: Yeah. Let's talk, I, I'm super interested in, in how... You know, kind of you made that decision to, to stay in Canada and stay training here when you were offered uh, NCAA scholarship. I think that's really cool and kind of like an all-in move to decide, you know what, I have this awesome opportunity that a lot of people would jump on. it's kind of like that carrot on the stick being hanged in front of you to, so you could go down to the U.S. and get that cool experience. But you decided that it was better for you to stay in Canada. And I think, I mean, it, it must have worked out for you because you're super successful now. Um Yeah, I'd love to hear more about how you made that decision.
1: Yeah, so I was very close to going to Berkeley. That was the one school I actually did my visit to. And it was intriguing because the head coach was also, um, he coached javelin. That was one of the main things that he was passionate about. So to me, that was kind of important that I have someone who was a good javelin coach. And they gave me a hell of a tour of the campus. And I had an amazing time. And I I was very highly considering going. And I actually did want to go for a bit. Um, but when it came down to it, I, um, I wanted to, I had a a huge group of friends in Vancouver and my coach who was training, he was a power speed coach and he was training with a club in Canada, in Vancouver. And our club had a close association with the university so that he also trained their power speed athletes. So staying at UBC or going to UBC meant that I could stay with my coach. And he was the guy who got me from 40 meters as a youth athlete to 50 meters as a junior. Which at the time, were, yeah, at the time was the Canadian record. It got broken last year, the junior record. But oh, man. that was a jump. That's okay. It needed to be broken. I'm okay with it. My youth record was also 50. So it that one will stay for a while. But, um Yeah, I ended up kind of realizing that, although it would be exciting and different and, you know, like you said, carrot on a stick with all the swag that comes with going to a Div 1 school, it was, I think, in my best interest as an athlete to stay with my coach and to kind of stay close to home. So it ended up being great. I mean, I still got into all kinds of trouble at UBC and had lots of fun. (laughs) But, you know, I probably would have gotten into more down in California. (laughs) So it was, it ended up being just like the right choice. And it was cool because, you know, I used to throw out of a parking lot at UBC. We didn't even have a track for the longest time. And finally, in my last year that I was actually training in Vancouver, but was done competing for UBC, I threw for a year on our new track. And it was, you know, it was cool to see the school go from something that was kind of so small and developing to now being kind of the monster that it is in Canada, the university and competitiveness of it.
0: Right. I'm a strong believer you constantly have to push yourself out of your comfort zone to make growth in your life. But I think as an athlete, to perform your best, you're always pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in so many different ways that any way that you can remain in that that comfort level, like surrounding you. So, you know, maybe staying close to home, having all your friends and your training partners and your coach nearby. Um, Do you think there's value to that? Like kind of staying comfortable because you know sport is so uncomfortable.
1: As long as it serves you I mean it's there comes a point where everybody needs some change and you know I've changed coaches a couple times over the past years and it was when I felt that I was stagnant in what we were doing with training or that you know just the relationship was no longer functioning properly It wasn't optimal and i think that you have to take into account your happiness i think that's really important and you know even if you're in a great environment but you're unhappy with the people around you or something like that that's you know that's going to wear on you as an athlete you're going to be stressed you're going to be your hormones are going to drop and you can look at it from a very analytical way to say you know this isn't helping me this isn't right providing me with fuel so i mean i love being home like for example I now, right now, I go back and forth between Lethbridge or training camp and back to my home in Vancouver where I get physio. And for the past couple of years, it's worked really well for me because when I'm training and I'm in Lethbridge, I'm focused. There's nothing else for me to do, and I'm with my coach. And I don't have friends, not as many friends to see. I don't have family to be around. I don't have as many obligations, and so it lets me focus, which is fantastic. But then every three to five weeks. I go home and I, you know, I take a little bit of a easier week in training. I see my friends, I get some social time, and I kind of refuel myself in that way. And then I go back again. And for the past couple of years it's worked super well for me. So you've kind of like before I wouldn't have been able to handle that. I I think I'm naturally a very social creature, but you know, we all go through different phases and instead of being in a permanently social phase, I've been in a bit more work and then play phase.
0: Right. Yeah, you kind of compartmentalize those two uh, two things.
1: Yeah, but I, I'm, an, I'm an all-in kind of person. I'm either having a great time or I'm working and I don't like to, I find that I get distracted by one or the other, I get stressed out when my worlds collide.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, I totally agree. Sometimes my friends make fun of me for being so like, on the weekends, I'm like, no, I gotta work. They're like, oh, come out. This kind of reminds me of something that I'd love to get your opinion on. I had a relative once that sat me down. I was at my cottage and told me to be the best athlete, I have to be selfish. Like you need to put yourself first, your mental and physical state first. And that means sacrificing efforts, you know, even for others, things you do for other people and little things um, like make the sacrifices when it comes to being a better athlete or no sacrifices when it comes to being a better athlete, but kind of sacrifice in all other efforts of your life. So I mean, little things like making sure when I get off the mountain, I had like what the best thing that I wanted to wear. So warm socks, you know, warm sweatpants, whatever it was, it was like, if I got off the mountain and I had to put on a pair of jeans, I was like, oh, this is uncomfortable, I don't like this. That was like a little inconvenience that he would tell me, he's like, you don't need to have, right? Like you can plan yes. it out ahead of time. and And whether that means... Being a little bit of a diva, or you know, be selfishly comfortable if that makes sense. So, yeah, I'd love to hear what what you think about that, or if that's something that you take into account with your training or your life.
1: No, definitely. I mean, my coach actually makes fun of me. He's like, "Yeah, it's all about you, hey." And it bothers me sometimes because I think you know, like, I'm I'm a people pleaser, which is probably to my benefit and to my detriment because I want to be liked by people, and I find that. I'd like to think that I'm fairly generous with what I have and I try and be as generous as I can with my time and with my consideration of others. But one thing I'm not generous with is if I need to recover and you are hindering me or, you know, my time is valuable and you take up my time in an unnecessary way that's, you know, purposeful and kind of rude, I get very upset about it.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure.
1: yeah. So when people say, oh, you know, like have some drinks or, oh, we're just going to have nachos for dinner and, you know, that's what we're having or we're going to this restaurant. That's just, you know, we're just going to go to Taco Bell. I'm like, no, like I don't eat that. That's not food to me. Yeah. And yeah. you got to be selfish about that. Or, you know, I've got to be asleep by during the winter, especially kind of 9:30, 10 at the absolute latest. And when other people are, you know, they're kind of bugging you that you're being a baby or that you can do it and you know you can stay up late. It's yet again, you're like, no, I'm selfish and
0: yeah, this
1: is my yeah. performance and this is my job. Right. And right. you know, I wouldn't ask you to, you know, s- say I don't compete well at this meet and you asked me to do something, right? So you've asked me to go party a week before and then I place eighth instead of second, for example, right? and it's because you're tired. It's like, okay, so you've asked me basically to give up $5,000.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. People don't realize that as, a, as an athlete. They don't realize that at all. It's, it's your livelihood.
1: Yeah. And it's like, it's a chance. Yes. It's not, a, it's not set in stone and it might not even be the factor, but how bad are you going to feel as an athlete if you did something that you feel like was potentially detrimental to your performance?
0: Yeah. You don't want to have regrets.
1: Yeah. And a lot of my friends, absolutely, like, this isn't really a problem for me anymore. My friends really respect what I do and they respect my time and they respect that a lot of what I do is recovery. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I've missed three weddings, um, from like family members and really good friends and like that sucks. But it's, you know, I can't fly back from Europe in for three days and then fly back out again.
0: No, it's not going to be good for your competing or training.
1: No, it, just, it kills you. So, I mean, you do have to be super selfish, and I think, you know, I'm not not a freak athlete in the way that I'm not hyper-explosive, and I'm, you know, I'm tall, I have a fast arm, and I'm ready to work hard and do what it takes to recover, and there's people who recover better, have better fast twitch, are more coordinated, and, you know, they can maybe get away with other stuff. Right. But... I know that I can't. And my strength is that I'm willing to do what others are not willing to do for recovery.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I, yeah, I've been blessed as well with having, you know, good friends and family that kind of understand it at this point, just because it's it's yeah. kind of been part of my life for so long. So even once I gave up snowboarding, it's still with with kind of CrossFit and everything it, it took over. It, it continued into my life. So people really respect that whether I'm still competing at something or not. Mm -hmm. um that I prioritize my recovery and my work and um just just trying to be a better athlete and be better uh, healthy you know like I don't want to go out and then feel bad the next day and not be able to do anything and that's just a waste of like two days even by this point like three days so yeah I've been definitely lucky but I know it was so hard at the start like when when you first start getting into a sport people you know you start isolating yourself from a lot of other people but it's kind of like where you find who's your true friends and um who you actually really want to spend time with and uh yeah I've been lucky like I ditched a lot of my friends a lot of times and I've been lucky that they're still some of my best friends and sorry if you guys are listening that I I'm always ditching you guys but uh I think they understand totally and then when we actually get to hang out it's it's almost that much better I guess you could say
1: No, for sure I mean then it's quality time and yeah I mean people take advantage that we live in this kind of the lap of luxury with all our free time and you know people didn't have this kind of free time like that long ago you had to work crazy long hours and I mean at the same time you it's, it sucks that we don't go out and you're like I'd love to go to a music festival, I'd love to go camping, I'd love to, love to go to, to Coachella! Know, do, yeah let's go to Coachella, let's go do something crazy, let's go try this new thing, let's go check out a concert but it's, at the same time it's like okay like I've chosen to do this and if I deviate then i'm not going to be as good as i want to be and
0: then yeah right and you only have so long to be an athlete really i mean you're not going to throw javelin when you're 60 in the olympics probably i mean who knows uh uh, yeah so there's there's parts of your life you have to sacrifice and you can kind of push it off till later i know myself I've, i've been going a little bit back and forth on this one um of making those sacrifices or not and i know with snowboarding when i kind of news time for me to kind of call it quits was because I wasn't necessarily willing to sacrifice all those things that I missed out on for so long. Like I never I never went to school because there's no like snowboard teams at school or that kind of thing. Like I I did my online university but I never got a school experience. And I remember visiting my friend at NYU and being like, Can I just stay here? (laughs) Like this is so cool. Like there's all these experiences that you, you miss out on, but you realize in the long term it's kind of worth it. So I've kind of been going back and forth. I know I had that kind of moment where I was like you know what I'm not willing to sacrifice anymore and I've now after a couple years I've realized that you know what I am willing to sacrifice again I'm willing to kind of put in that that suffering for for a new goal so that's kind of with my CrossFit I'm willing to kind of push things aside I had a couple years to like see kind of live a more of a balanced life and like see um what it's like going out every once in a while very rarely still it's like three times a year so once it's it's like Christmas, Canada Day, birthday, like (laughs) maybe not even birthday, (laughs) like birthday. It's like, maybe I'll just eat some sugar. And then the next day I can PR lift or something. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's good that more people understand now. And I think, you know, you're surrounded by good people. You sound like you're, you have a good support group around you. So, and, and I know, I know down in Arizona, you were telling me, I think that you have a training partner down there and do you find that it's, it makes a big difference who you're training with and that those other people around you have those same goals and they're making those same sacrifices with their other friends and their other parts of their lives. Yeah, for
1: sure. I mean, um, so it was just a teammate who came down, he doesn't throw javelin, he's a shot putter. Okay. And it was, it was just nice to have, um, you know, I love my coach, but it's nice to have another athlete around. Um, so it's more a little bit social, but, Um, I haven't trained with another javelin thrower in a long time and it's, I love it. When you're training with someone good or someone who has high aspirations, um, it's good, it's competitive and it pushes you and I haven't had someone there, you know, I have to decide to push myself every lift, every throw, I have to make it a game and it's definitely easier when you have someone there to compete with.
0: Well, you seem to have the drive to be able to push yourself, um, you know, if you're on your own and throwing on your own or training on your own. So it's a good thing to have, but it's, yeah, it's also good to get that competitive mindset by kind of training with someone else beside you. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. But yeah, men are also awesome to train with though, because they naturally throw further than me and they're stronger than me. So it makes me want to chase them and it makes them run want to run away from me chasing them. <laughs> so that's yeah. also, that's also a good one too. I don't, I like, I like training with guys a lot of the time too.
0: Oh yeah. I, I grew up playing you know, I played sports with boys. I played baseball. I didn't want to play softball, so I was playing all the all of the sports with guys um, and kind of comparing myself to to the guys. I remember telling my dad, I was like, oh, "I'm going to be in the NFL." He's like, you, first off, you're a girl. Second off, you've never even thrown a football." And I was like, "Who cares? I could be the first female." Like, I, I didn't really separate myself from the guys at all. It was just just kind of. I mean, uh, that's this probably why I didn't have any boyfriends growing up (laughs) I was totally one of the guys but uh yeah now I train with the guys a lot at my gym so um we have like some great games and regionals level athletes at the gym and um it's awesome to get to kind of they've kind of taken me under their wing lately and and get to kind of train with them and try to chase them and it's I find you know you find in in sports like hockey or almost any sport that if the girls that succeed seem to have been kind of chasing some sort of like a male athlete which i don't want that to sound like anti-feminist or anything like that um but it just seems like that's the way it's been that some of the most successful females were kind of chasing the guys and i, I mean in sports there's like a clear physical dominance of male athletes you know when you see like a male javelin thrower just because of the way he's built can throw further than a female um yeah. it has nothing to do with uh just you know believing you can or not it just genetics um so do you think that that's a big factor in it do you think you know maybe throwing with the guys a lot is is a reason why you've been so successful i
1: think maybe i mean it's men are more competitive
0: right yeah they're
1: like they're they're more competitive
0: you can make everything a game everything a race and girls are just like eh, i don't want to race <laughs> that's, that's no but it's like you know it's
1: like when you know you kind of hit grades Six through nine, there's a massive drop off in women playing sports. Yeah, and I remember I was a, yeah. I was a fastball pitcher, and my team folded from lack of interest. Then the team younger than me folded because we were in two year bands, and I was playing with them for a bit. And then the team above me folded. And then my last option was to go play for um, a team that for practice it would take me 45 minutes to get me to practice per day. Right. And it was just, I mean, like, I get it. Women lose interest in sport, whether it's because they're, they're more interested in something else, or maybe they're just interested in nothing, or maybe they're more interested in boys, or maybe it's a fear of not succeeding. I don't know what it is, but, like, I get it. Just women, for some reason, lose interest in that competitive edge. And the girls who do, I think, have always, like, we like competition. The girls who stay in sport, like, they enjoy the thrill of pushing themselves, of competing, of beating someone else, being better. And I think you maybe just, like, I get along with men really, really well, and I think because of that effect. And the women I do get along with are all (laughs) hyper-competitive.
0: I know. I, I was talking to my dad the other day, and I was discussing how kind of my friend group has changed a lot um, over the years, I mean, in high school, I had a, like, I was kind of someone who liked to hang out with everybody and kind of get to know everyone. But then when I go home, I, I liked hanging out with myself or, you know, the guys I snowboarded with or, or played sports with versus, um, actually hanging out with the, the girls from school. that were interested in a lot of different things. Um, yeah. And I was realizing that everyone I hang out with are like these people with like crazy goals. Like one of my best friends wants to be a doctor. My other friend just came back from Switzerland. Uh, She was doing her master's in international affairs um, and she's a power lifter. And the other friend who wants to be uh, a doctor is a CrossFitter. She's uh, almost made regionals this year. Last year, she's like top 50 in the region. So she's she's doing awesome there. Um, Another friend that I would consider one of my best friends is down in New York and just started a she's starting a job for Deloitte. She just graduated from business school. So, yeah, I was just realizing like all the friends I have are pushing themselves in crazy ways versus the friends that I kind of maybe dropped off from are kind of people that didn't I didn't relate to and they didn't have that competitive drive. And when I was young and in high school and elementary school, I didn't realize why I didn't really relate a lot with my classmates. And now it's like totally come to light that they're just not on the same wavelength, I guess.
1: Well, I think like the way I relate it, when people say, oh, training, you know, you train all the time and, you know, you don't do as much quote unquote fun stuff. And I look at it like, it's like taking a vacation. Right. Some people like to go, you know, camping every two weekends or do something fun every couple of weekends or go for dinner or whatever, right? and some of us like to save our money and go to Europe for a month once a year. Right. Yeah. And it's that delayed gratification, it's that building of something. And there's nothing wrong with, if what makes you happy is having little spurts of things all the time that, you know, that's the way you experience joy and that's the way you want to experience your life, like, there's nothing wrong with that. And if it makes you happy, like, it's life. like what are we here to do except for experience some kind of great pleasure and enjoy ourselves right. and try and you know kind of give back to our like give back something to the earth. Yeah. And you know, if the way we experience great joy is that build and that anticipation and that working for one big thing, that's totally different. And you know, like that's the thing about chasing the personal best. You know, I haven't personal bested in since two thousand and fifteen. And it's, you know, and even then, that was a pretty small personal best, but I know that when there's nothing like that high of working mm-hmm. so long for something, and when you finally get it, like, you can't wipe the grin off the face, and you're, you're so electrified by it, but I think only someone who's almost like, you need to experience that at a younger age, and experience this delayed gratification and all this hard work that then finally pays off in this small moment to actually want to keep doing that otherwise it's even hard to fathom it
0: right and sports is so good for that like i i totally attest like who i am and what i what i do and everything is just totally i can attest that to sports like growing up playing sports i think it's such an important thing and i i think it sucks to see that girls kind of fall off and they they don't do it and then you know when you're playing as a kid you might not get that that big result that gets you that high feeling that you were just talking about because you're kind of just playing for fun maybe not keeping score but when you're in that that age range where you were just talking about like kind of grade six to grade nine where girls fall off that's when sports kind of become more competitive and you start getting that feeling because you've been working so long and you know you're playing at a level that usually there's kind of something at stake and so yeah so they don't get that chance to experience it if they quit by that time and then they they don't really get they don't get hooked into it um the way I guess that we did
1: (laughs) I think another thing is too and I've really noticed that this difference is that there's a really big difference in the mindset of an individual athlete versus a team athlete and the team like there's nothing like winning like as a team when it's amazing when you overcome something when you truly work together it's this incredible group feeling along with success that's indescribable however there's something there's a mental shift that happens I find when I started, I did fencing for a little bit, which was probably the first individual thing I ever did. And I was able to attribute all my learning and all my effort was completely related to me. And you can see that it's all you, which is, you know, you see what you're truly capable of and you see your own power. And obviously you have a good coach or you have your parents who drive you to practice or whatever, but you really, I think you just develop a sense of self that's very powerful and so when i started getting into track and field and doing javelin you kind of realize what the bill provides and it's not just oh yeah but there was this amazing past for my friend or we really you know this group activity that we did that really bonded us that really made this unit a whole it's not like that it's all it can all be linear and it can all be attributable to your efforts
0: right yeah i think if there's one area that i'm really passionate about making a difference in is like that that age group where uh, young girls kind of quit sports or something. I if there's something that I can make a difference and like tell people, hey, like don't quit or or make sure that your daughters stay stay in sports. Like that would be that would be it. Like the Dove campaign that was out and things like that. Like, those are mm-hmm. awesome. I think we need more of that to keep to keep girls in sports because it makes such a big difference whether they, they quit later on, they're going to be better in business and life, everything, just because of the, the lessons that they learned in sport. And they kind of have to stick with it long enough to get that competitive aspect and that kind of delayed gratification learning, I guess.
1: Yeah, Sure. It develops perseverance and it develops persistence. And they're both really important qualities to be successful in anything. You have to be able to put up a little bit of setback and to to put up with other people. and It's important.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like if any, I guess I'll take this chance to say if like any young girls are listening to this podcast and they're getting made fun of, you know, I I remember I got made fun of all the time in school. So I I didn't really have many friends between those ages when I was just hyper competitive. But if I could tell any um, young girls is that, you're gonna find other people that you relate with and, and other athletes and other girls who are doing the same thing. It just takes a little bit of time. And if you can suffer through those, those few years, it's gonna be so worth it.
1: You know, I've, uh, when I've given talks at schools and stuff, I've said, that, I've said that to kids. It's just, you know, if you're being, being bullied or you don't have any friends, like it sucks. Like yeah. it really, really, really sucks. But at the same time, you are such in a microscopic environment you know, you might have two hundred to, you know, twelve hundred people in your school or, you know, just a couple hundred people in your grade. There are close to seven billion people on the planet. Yeah. You can't tell me that you can't find people who are into the same stuff as you in the entire planet or even in your city. Like I refuse to believe it. And yeah, you might be kinda of trapped in school and trapped by the fact that you are young or don't have a car or can't get certain places. But, you know, you can always go join clubs if you really want to or you can, you know, you just suffer through a couple of years, which sucks. But stick your nose to the grindstone. Take an opportunity for what it is that this might not be a social time, but it might be a time to do something else.
0: Right. And work on yourself. I think you're better for it later on. I know my my dad used to always sit me down if I was upset about the boys at school or the girls at school. And he'd be like, not nah, like you're very competitive and, and out there and you make your competitive self known. And he's like, it's not a bad thing. Just, just know that in a few years, you know, whether when you finish uh, elementary school or high school or, or so on, you're going to go on to meet people that you really relate with, whether it be, you know, through studying business or pursuing high performance athletics, then you're going to find kind of your fit in the people you relate with. But you gotta, you gotta stick it out for a while because it definitely can be hard in elementary and, and high school. Speaking about that, that kind of delayed gratification high, I know that uh, winning the Pan Ams for you must have been something like that. So tell me about that feeling of winning the Pan Ams on, on home turf. That's it's a pretty big deal. And I know um, my whole family was was cheering, cheering you on. So uh, I'd love to hear like the behind the scenes about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was kinda weird. I was more focused on the Pan Ams than Worlds that year, admittedly. and. Unfortunately, it ended up being <laughs> shelling in the results completely. Um, but it was, it was cool because, I mean, I've never competed on home turf with that much of a fan base or a crowd. And it was, you know, we were talking about adverse conditions and stuff, and that day there was 60-kilometer-an-hour headwinds, which is crazy. That's when your feet start getting, like, that's when it affects the runway, it affects the distance you travel on the runway. And um, there's a lot of people who did not know how to deal with the wind because it was, you know, it wasn't just a consistent wind, it was gusting, and it would stop and it would pick up and then that's a huge challenge when you're on the runway and you're trying to, you know, try and judge the wind and then throw. So. It was cool because training in Lethbridge, that's all we deal with is, you know, you're happy when you only have 25 kilometer an hour winds that day. And then you only call practice when it hits 60, but you know how to deal with it. You know how to deal with it as best as you can. And I think it would have been a lot more, a lot denser of a competition had other people um, not been experiencing the wind. So when I got there, I kind of I got in and, you know, I was like, I got this. Like, this is... This is exactly what I do. This is exactly what I train for. And I was leading the competition for the first um, five throws. And then in the fifth round, I got passed by the a Brazilian and an American who had actually invited... I told her to come to Pen Amps because I was like, I really want you here. Like, I want this to be as competitive as possible because she was probably the highest ranked thrower there. And she ended up coming down and she's glad she did because Pan Ams were fantastically run. And um, they both passed me, and I thought, okay, like, I've got to pull out a big throw for my sixth throw. And I was the last throw of the competition, and it was interesting because there was actually at the exact moment my throw, there was nothing else going on on the track. And so everybody was watching me, and so I got the crowd going, and um, it was cool because normally you kind of get, like, a couple people here or there cheering for you, or... Um, You know, maybe one section, but other people were distracted by something else. But it was all Canadians, and it was the only event on. So the crowd was so loud. And then when I started my throw, I just, I knew I was ready to hit it. And then the wind stayed consistent. And the moment I let it go out of my hand, you just, you know that that's a good throw. And the reason I actually knew I'd won the competition wasn't because the march had been called, but because the crowd went from loud to ecstatic. It just blew up. And so you could tell that everybody else knew that it was further. And it was an incredible moment because my family was there, my parents, like my grandmother, tons of friends. And it was neat to kind of do it when it counted.
0: Yeah. Then you leading into the 2016 Olympics, did you, I think you, you said you had an injury. Yeah. Heading into 2016.
1: Yeah. So right before my training camp in, I guess, in. February, Marchish of last year I was doing a clean and I forgot to hook grip my clean when I was I'd actually done all my sets so I was just going to put it away. It was just 60 kilos not a, not a big deal for me and I forgot to hook grip it which means uh, put your fingers over your thumb when you grip the bar and that lets you hold on better and I ended up letting go of the bar about three quarters of the way through pushing off to grab this clean and instead of catching the bar I launched myself off the platform and landed directly on my uh on my hips. and you know at first I thought I was just my pride was bruised because I did this in front of you know the entire UBC baseball team and I was like okay that's kind of embarrassing everybody was watching me do this and uh, and then I realized that my um my when my glutes was seizing and I was like, oh, that doesn't feel great. And then I woke up the next morning and everything from my mid quad all the way up to my belly button, every muscle was in complete spasm. So yeah, I couldn't get out of bed properly. I kind of I called my physio and I said, This is a major problem. I'm leaving for training camp in basically forty eight hours. And so she got me in that night and uh about two hours and in- close to 100 needles, IMS needles later, I stuff stopped seizing quite so much, but I was pretty achy. So I went from training twice a day to training once a day and it being really, really light because I was just, I was so exhausted and my everything hurt. And then after a couple of weeks of really, really light training, I finally started throwing some more, but I couldn't handle the same volume. So I was getting out of shape. And when you do javelin, you do something called crossovers. So it's basically running sideways, but it's not karaoke. So your back leg never crosses behind your front leg. It's always one foot in front of the other. And for the first time in my life, because I was so uncoordinated and kind of hadn't really properly recovered from this, I did a crossover behind my left leg. Crazy. So, you know, I've been throwing javelin since I was 15 and at the age of 27, I did a crossover behind my leg. So it was just, it was, a, it basically showed how uncoordinated I was and how much this had impacted my nervous system and kind of impacted my coordination. Right. And I put up with it for a couple months and I was getting better. Things were kind of getting a little bit better, but I was out of shape. And, um, I started to get frustrated because I could barely throw 55 meters. And normally in practice, I throw close to what I compete at and, after about two and a half months of telling myself that it's okay, it'll get better, this is just one practice, reset for the next day, I kind of broke. And it was like, I've wasted my time, I've spent all this time training, I was having an amazing training year, and now it's all for naught. And so, uh, yeah, it was just, it was incredibly frustrating to kind of put in all that work and not have it turn out. Right. And then by the time I finally got, you know, back to, probably I want to say my full coordination, I was so defeated mentally that I'd done all this work and it hadn't paid off that it was starting to affect me in competition, that I kind of couldn't wrap my head how to compete properly. And I'd tighten up and I'd get really anxious and I'd get really nervous. I'd have self-defeating attitude. Um, And I ended up pulling it together to get my standard to go to the Olympics. And I threw 62 meters, which was incredible. Um, But by that time I kind of done a lot of mental damage to myself and it was good because I ended up talking to a sports psych and I ended up kind of getting back into a routine for practices, routine for competition. And by the time I got to the Olympics, I'm actually really proud of the way I competed. I showed up, I executed my plan. I had a system in place for, you know, this is when I, five throwers out, I do this, three throwers out, I strip down to competition gear, two throws out, I grab a javelin and I was, well focused and i was happy with the way i was competing but at that point i was just more out of shape than i wanted to be and the effects of months of not training the way we had initially planned kind of took its toll but you know the olympics weren't a success and it was still frustrating i was still really sad with you know kind of four years of training felt like it went down the tube but at the same time you know there was a huge lesson to be learned there that you have to control your mental state and even if it's months and months you kind of just to accept your faith sometimes you're just in it to learn a bigger lesson and not necessarily have the success that you dreamed of but you have to take something away from it so you might as well choose to instead of being upset
0: right so how did you bounce back after that like after the the 2016 olympics Uh, i
1: took a week vacation with my boyfriend (laughs) i drank caprinas on the beach which is just a very sweet alcoholic drink (laughs) and I toured, I saw stuff, I had social time with my friends when I went back home and I just did normal people stuff. And I just needed, I was so rigid with myself for about two years with my training and with my diet and with everything that I just, like, I need a break so I can reset. I'm gonna go all in on being lazy and doing nothing and then I'll go back all in later on being full-time athlete. And I think I needed, I needed a break mentally and emotionally but then I was really just, I was ready to get back to it. And I was really healthy going back into training and fingers crossed, knock on wood, everything. But I'm back in a really good place. I've got a really good system down to prepare myself for competition. And yeah, that's, you know, it's all you can really do is accept when your body doesn't want to do what you want it to.
0: Right. Yeah, I think someone uh, like yourself, who's who's kind of all in on training and, and likes to be you know, perhaps to the extreme on either do this or or be all in on having fun and kind of com- compartmentalize um, the different parts of uh, of your life and, and social life. Um, that it's important to take that that full break where you can refocus on other things. Otherwise, you know, even if you were, do you find that if you were trying to balance um, both at the same time, like okay, I'm going to get back into training and kind of go on vacation whatever if you weren't all in on just vacation chill time take that break that it you still would have been kind of in like a, a down mental state or not you know performing as well as uh, as you are kind of now or, or after that
1: well, i think it was important to take a step back because it allows you to more fully analyze something of the past when you're not in it you know it's like writing a paper mm-hmm. and Wanting to work on it, work on it, work on it, edit it, but never taking a step back, letting it kind of sit, do its thing, and then coming back to it with fresh eyes.
0: Right. So, what's next for you? 2020? um, Any big plans? Things are going super well. Uh, I've got
1: two more days left in Arizona. Um, I am looking forward to going back to Vancouver for a couple of days and see my boyfriend. I haven't seen him in five weeks. So, those are social time. Um, but yeah, this year there's World Championships in London and I need to have a good year mentally, emotionally. I'm telling myself that I told myself earlier this year that I am committed completely to one more year and if it goes well, I'll commit to another three. So, you know, tentatively I am committed to 2020 because I believe good things are going to happen this year based on how my training is going you know the the older you get the more you realize that you want to experience some other things so yes i'm i'm ready for this year that's for darn sure
0: (laughs) that's awesome so out of all your routines that we kind of touched on earlier and um kind of the nootropics and hrv and all those things what are three things that you think everyone should do and implement in their lives like if i was to do um three things and it's totally going to not maybe knit, not change my life, but like just make my daily life better. What would it be?
1: Definitely meditation. Um, meditation not necessarily being sitting down and you know twenty minutes of Om. That's not meditation has so many different definitions. I think that you know I, I started when I started meditating. I started with five minutes and then five became ten and then became twenty and then for a while I was doing forty minute meditations just because it felt really good and I just that was you know that's where I was. And once in a while, I'll do that. Um, it used to be a very daily practice of sitting down and you know doing a guided meditation, either on calm, using that app, or using headspace. But more recently, when I kind of want to kill two birds with one stone, I'll meditate through my yoga. So I'll just do you know the sudden salutation series. And it's nice to just be focused on your breath and focused on your body. And that's all meditation really is, is paying attention to the present moment, not thinking about your problems, not thinking about not trying to ruminate, not worrying about, you know, something that's going on in, you know, upstairs. And, you know, that was a great thing. And then I realized that, you know, I could just anything I did, I could just be present in the moment. So when I felt like I was too busy to do yoga, or I was on the road, or I couldn't, you know, I didn't feel like I had a moment. There was something that I heard in a podcast a long time ago about how you can just take one deep breath and that's technically a meditation because you're focused on yourself. And if all you're doing is one breath per day and that's how you start even, then one breath turns into two, two into three, three into more. And even if you're just taking that moment to be calm and look after yourself, it's, it's worth it. And even if it's just in bed at the end of the day and not you know, actively focusing on your health and not on some thoughts or I must fall asleep it's just you're taking that moment to just turn off to turn off you know turn off Natalie turn off Liz and just be what you are right So yeah. that's for sure one thing It's just grab a nap take a deep breath enjoy it luxuriate in the fact that you are alive and have lungs
0: awesome love it so number one meditation what's number two number
1: one meditation in all its senses, however, it floats your boat. Um, probably just moving a little bit. I mean, I love honestly when I wake up. Probably one of the biggest things for me, as especially as I've gotten older, is that I wake up and I'm a little creaky. And I love just waking up and doing a minute of something. Whether I'm riding my coffee by hand and I'm doing a bunch of squats while I'm doing that, or you know, doing a couple push-ups, doing you know a couple down dogs, or just something to kind of get the blood moving in the morning. It's an amazing way to start your day. It sounds kind of simple and kind of, it's not supposed to be exercise. It's not supposed to be anything either other than, you know, starting the day a little bit more actively and less lackadaisically. So it's weird how it gets you going instead of just a cup of coffee.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think you got to get that heart rate up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and number three, spend time being creative.
0: That's good. Yeah, so I think
1: I, I was guilty of this for a long time where I was either just watching movies or reading books and, you know, being a little bit social, but um, I went through a really big burst of just taking in information constantly because I was hungry for knowledge and that's, it was really interesting to me and that's fine, it was a great phase, but I was realizing that I was taking in a ton and I was just regurgitating other people's work. And that's cool. And, you know, it's good to educate yourself, but I think taking time to write in a journal or to work on that business idea that you have, or to just think through a problem and sit there and, you know, not play Candy Crush or not stroll Instagram, but to actually think actively about something is really important because, you know, we kind of, that's what our brain is really great at is creating all these amazing ideas. And I don't, I think with all the distractions in the world we don't take time to consider different possibilities or to create
0: right yeah i hope people listening to this podcast don't just like oh hey like they, they get asked the same question and they tell people you know maybe they regurgitate your answer instead of actually doing it themselves like sitting down and and implementing these practices into their own lives
1: yeah, I mean, like I do the gratitude journaling and that's, you know, that is one way of taking five minutes of being creative because you are writing something, but, you know, every once in a while, it's great to like, write about a problem you're having, just write it down or write about, you know, just write a short story, anything, write about your, you know, your greatest flaw or write about an inanimate object and how it might write about the life of the inanimate object in your house, because it might describe something that you don't quite realize. and. You know, you can take all these different exercises just for fun and it doesn't have to be an hour. It can be a couple minutes, but there's lots of powerful ways to, you know, get your brain going and start your imagination.
0: Right. So if people want to hear uh, more about what you're up to, follow your training, uh, see your, what you're eating on your Instagram stories, (laughs) where can they find you on social media, online? Um, Where can they kind of talk to you?
1: So on facebook and instagram i'm at javaliz j a v e l i z z and on facebook i just have a um i just have a facebook page that i started more recently than the other two and it's just under my name Liz Gglele
0: all right well thanks for joining uh, joining the show today and I hope people actually take action in their lives and uh, go out and be creative perfect thanks. Hey guys, just a reminder that if you enjoy any of the episodes, I encourage you to leave a review and share your thoughts. I'm super engaged on social and love when you guys hit me up at Natalie Alport with your thoughts or just to say hi. This podcast would not be possible without you guys, the listeners. So thank you so much. I'm really grateful. All In is brought to you by 93 Agency. 93 Agency helps your business grow. 93 Agency's mission is to help businesses realize their full potential through providing services that enable them to reach audiences in creative and valuable ways. 93 Agency specializes in digital marketing and social media management. 93 Agency generates leads, improves credibility, and increases customer loyalty, all while saving your business valuable time and costs. Check 93 Agency out at 93agency.com or follow on social media at 93Agency. For more awesome content, head to my website at www.natalieallport.com and follow me on social media at Natalie Thanks for listening.